All right, so we have been uh, in a series we're going to continue and conclude today, and uh, very excited about this series. It's called How to Neighbor. And as I was thinking about today's message, I was, I was thinking back to a time where it goes all the way back to 2004, where we took a group, my wife and I were youth pastors at the time, we took a group of young people and some adult leaders to Jamaica, and it was an amazing, amazing trip, and Really, it was focused a lot of ministry on younger people, um, you know, specific, more specifically, even children. And we just did a lot of ministry to children in two specific areas, two different areas, two different churches. And uh, one of the amazing things that happened on that trip was when we were going to leave, it was the hardest thing ever to leave. It was, it was hard. Throughout the week, um, as we ministered to these kids, we saw that they were sort of quickly growing attached to us. Now, I did some research, and Jamaica is one of the, it's, it's, there's some major issues related to fatherlessness. And we would find, while we were there, we would find these kids saying, take me home with you. Can I be, can you adopt me? Can, can I be your, your son, your daughter? And, and I mean, that wasn't just sort of a passing, you know, funny or humorous statement. humorous statement. They were serious about it. And so they, not only did they feel that way, but, you know, as a result of our hearts to minister, our hearts grew close to these kids because they were sort of drawn to uh, people that loved them. And we, we were doing our best to love them well. And, and I remember getting on the bus after this first, this first week of ministry, trying, uh, getting on the bus. We had much of our team on the bus, but several of our team members uh, they were delayed in getting on the bus because it was so hard to leave these kids. I mean, they were just weeping together um, as they left. And I, I discovered that really God has given us a heart to minister to those in need. God has given us a heart to, the, uh, to minister and, and love those who just, you know, are lacking something fundamental in their lives. And in these cases, it could have been uh, parents or just, you know, authentic love, or maybe they just love being loved the way we love them. I don't know, but it was, it was a profound time for us. And even as I talked to people that went on that trip uh, recently, they still remember fondly that time. But something, I discovered that something in us, God, God put there so that, uh, that caused us and helped us desire to love those and minister to those who have need. And I want to talk to you about that today. Um, in, in the past, up to this series, we've talked about a few major topics uh, as we talked about how to neighbor. This, this whole series comes from the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is approached by a lawyer, uh, a, a, a person of the law, that asks, you know, what must I do to be saved? And, and he says, you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy then asks the question, well, well who is my neighbor? And in reality, we've been discovering not only who our neighbor is over this last month or so, but how we can be better neighbors. So we've talked about racism, the topic of racism. And we we can't allow the issue in the hearts of people related to racism block us from loving our neighbors. We've talked about ministry to the poor and and God's heart for the poor and, and how we're called to to, to minister to the poor. Um, we, we've also talked about those who are emotionally, uh, have emotional needs or spiritual needs and how we can be better neighbors to them. Today, I want to talk to you uh, about true religion. 
I want to talk to you about true religion. If you turn in your Bibles to the, the book of James, we're going to just get started with uh, the passage. We're just going to land in primarily two verses today as we look at uh, this passage in James. Now, if anyone knows anything about James, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Younger brother, half-brother of Jesus. And he wrote in a, a very difficult time in the church. He was a very prominent figure in the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote to a church that was being scattered because of persecution. He wrote to a church that was having difficulties and opposition because of their faith. And so uh, he's very, very straightforward. You want to read uh, you know, a very cut and dry book, read the book of James. Because he doesn't pull any punches. He tells you what you need to hear. Uh, it's not flowery language. It's very straightforward language. And this is what he's saying to the people that he was called to lead in that day. I want to look at verse 26 and verse 27 of chapter 1. This is what James says. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Like I said, he's, not, he's going to tell you what you need to hear, okay? I don't, want my, I don't want to be told my religion's worthless. Uh, what I give, what I do, you know, those I invest in, I want it to matter, you know? I want my faith to matter. I want my faith to make a difference. He goes on to say, religion that God our Father accepts as, as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so I want, to just, I want to just sort of break these two verses down and help us glean what's being said and, and just receive the challenge that we're giving by uh, the Apostle James at this time. We see the first few words in this, in this passage. It says, those who consider. This is verse 26. Those who consider. And your translation may say something else like, uh, you know, those who think. Uh, or those who, cons- uh, those who consider or think of themselves. It, it sort of is the Greek, the Greek, the original language sort of carries the idea uh, of the word imagine. Like if you imagine yourself as a religious person or you think of yourself as a religious, religious person, you need to hear this. So he uses this word that, needs, that uh, carries the idea of imagine. And this word religion, it's, it's worth talking about because he's talking about the outward aspects of the faith. It's sort of like, you know, a, a religious person. This is what James says. A religious person is, is someone who's known to, you know, go to church, to pray, to sing songs, you know, to do these outward types of things. And these things are good. Don't get me wrong. These things are good, but he's focusing on these areas. And he's saying, if you consider yourself a good person, because of the things you do related to your religion, watch out. He says that you need to be careful because these things don't necessarily determine the fact that you are, you are, 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 are walking in what God considers true religion. I guess he would say it another way if I could sort of give my, my summary or my, my, my take on what he's saying. He would say something like this. The things you think please God Versus the things that really please God sometimes can be different things. 
They can be different things. They may not be what you think, right? And so we want to look at this topic, this, this concept uh, of true religion because he, he digs deep into this thing because the reality is, I guess he's saying something like this. You could spend your life being, uh, being religious and doing religious stuff, but totally miss it. You, you could spend your life being religious and totally miss the heart of God. You might as well just go bowling or fishing or hunting or something because you're wasting your time. And so we don't want to be people that waste our time. We want, we want what we do related to our faith to matter. We, we want to change nations, right? We, we want to impact lives, impact families, impact our community. The Bible says that we are the light of the world, right? We, we have the ability to influence and change the society and the culture that we live in. We're not here just getting by, surviving. We are influencers. We're called to make a difference. And so we want to look at what James calls true religion. And, and he gives this, this, this connotation or this, this sort of idea that some people are deceived. He says, if you consider yourselves or if, or if you look at yourselves as someone who's religious, but you don't keep a, a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself. Now, one of the worst types of deception is self-deception. When you're convinced of something and no one can convince you otherwise. He says, James is saying, you're, you're deceived. You're self-deceived. And, you know, you can't see it when... The reason it's, it's one of the worst types of deception is you can't see it in yourself. You can't look in the mirror and say, wow, man, you are, you've missed it. You're, you're off. You, you believe something that's not true. We, we become convinced in our mind of something, and we totally uh, are convinced that that's really what the truth is. And, and self-deception in religion goes something like this. You know, it, it, it's sort of we... We, we, we learn a lot. We know a lot. And Christians in the United States are, are like this in, in many ways. We, we, we learn a lot of the truth of God. We have access to Bible and, and uh, you know, the Internet and teachings galore and, and podcasts. You know, we could flip open our, our computer or turn on our phone and we could catch, you know, a service that's, that's happening live right now somewhere. And we have access to so much word and so much truth. And what tends to happen if we're not careful, and you'll hear James say this over and over again, that we become so full of knowledge, but we don't do anything with that knowledge. And so James goes into this whole idea that, uh, you know, in the background of this story to some degree is that we should be doers of the word, not simply hearers. And so the self-deception is I'm mature because I've heard. I'm mature because I know. I've even taught that stuff before. What are you talking about? You know, the self-deception is, you know, I've heard better preachers preach on this topic before, you know. And the reality is we're no different than before we ever heard it. And so we view ourselves, we consider ourselves as mature in the faith when there's really very little action behind our faith. It's all right up here. 
or it falls back into the outward stuff like, well, what are you talking about? I go to church every week. I'm there a couple times a month. I give, I pray, I greet people with a smile. What are you talking about? Yes, you're religious. But it has to go beyond that. And that is, that is the heart of what James is saying. And in a bigger picture, when we talk about how to neighbor, the world doesn't need religion. The world needs authentic, real, raw Christianity. The world needs people that are going to step out and, and do something with their faith, you know? And so we want to just look at this from that angle. So here, here's, I just came up with this formula. You're in math class for a moment. True religion, according to these two verses, equals private purity and public compassion. True religion equals private purity and public compassion. And I I just have three quick points that I want to share with you uh, for this message. The first one we see in verse 26. I'll read that again. He says this in verse 26 of James 1. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. He goes on to say, and their religion is worthless. The, the, word, the, word, the words tight rein in the NIV sometimes are translated in other versions like uh, does not control. You have a tight rein on your tongue or you do not control your tongue. Or if you have some, one of the older translations, it says uh, bridle, does not bridle their tongue. And a bridle was the type of thing that they, they put on a horse to control, there's a, there's a bit that goes in their mouth, and then there's all these leather straps to control the direction that the rider of the horse wants to go. So uh, a bridle is something that exhibits control. And he's saying that if you, don't, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself, and your religion is worthless. Matthew, uh, Matthew writes, in, in quoting Jesus He said something like this. Whatever your heart is full of, your mouth speaks. So we could have worthless religion by not having a tight rein on our tongue. And and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're around people and, and the reality is whatever's on their mouth or on their mind comes out of their mouth, which is also a reflection of their heart. And he's saying that's not the kind of people that, that we are called to be. That's not the kind of people that are going to change the world. We, we don't have a tight rein on our tongue. And, I, I mean, I could go into all of it, but, you know, there's vulgarity, obscenity, indecent language, dirty jokes, racial or ethnic insults, humor meant to insult or put somebody down, or just plain mean language that we, we share with one another. And he's saying... You know, that, that's not the kind of people that we're called to be. I believe that if we get our heart right, our mouth will speak right as well. And part of that is our, our religion or our faith will speak volumes to other people. You know, sometimes, the, sometimes we, we fail to remember that people are watching, people are listening. And James is concerned with his church. He's he's concerned with the church, the people that are scattered all over the world for their faith. He's saying, you're being persecuted because of your faith. There's some things that you've got to get right 
if you're going to influence those around you. You might as well just give up your faith. Go back to your country. You know, go back to the place you live. Tell them you aren't a Christian anymore. Is in another way, is what he could be saying. And, and so we, we need to be careful about the things that we say. And the shocking conclusion to this one verse that he states is this. Your religion is worthless. Like I said before, I would never want that said about me, you know? That the faith that I'm living has no meaning, no purpose, no influence. It's not going to make a difference. You're wasting your time. I don't think that's, that's representing Jesus well. He's saying those who walk with Jesus, they're going to learn to control their tongue. Now, you may be sitting here and saying, well, is he saying because, you know, I swore the other day accidentally, I'm not a Christian. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we are called to be growing in the faith, learning to be more like Jesus. And if we think it's no big deal what we say, what we put on Facebook, how we communicate with others, if we think it's no big deal how we treat others with our words, we may not beat them up with our fists, but we beat them up with our words. It is a big deal because it's, it's not reflective of Jesus Christ. It's not reflective of the faith that we live. And to love our neighbor the way we're called to, we, we need to have a tight rein on that. So my first thought is this. You can control your conversation. You can control the words that come out of your mouth. Here's my second thought. Not only, not only will we, uh, as we grow in our faith, have something, have some ability to control what we say, but we will also overflow with compassion. That was what I was trying to communicate when we went to Jamaica. It's like this compassion in us, man, caused us to love these kids. Like, I, I, I would have brought some of those kids home. I don't know what I would have done with them, but I would have brought them home. I just love them. I wanted to see good for their lives. I wanted to see them prosper. I wanted to see them feel loved and know what what a good family is like and we can overflow with compassion we see this in verse 27 the first part of it it says this religion that god our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress now you can look through the scriptures all over the place we see god calling out widows and orphans and, and really, what I believe James is getting at is this. If you see a need in front of you, you know, if you see a need in front of you, true religion is meeting that need, not talking about it. True religion is saying, you know what, I'm going to stop and care for that person. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to do what's needed to be done as, as much as it's within my power to care for that person. I'm going to do it. You, you want to make a name for Jesus, man? Step out. And love people with no strings attached. I expect nothing back. You, you want to make Jesus' uh, name famous in Syracuse? Man, man, just stepping out and loving people. There's so many broken, hurting people. There's so many people that are deprived emotionally, spiritually. And what we saw in the story of the, the Good Samaritan is that religious people just walked by. Didn't care about the need in front of them. Or maybe whatever was going on in the, their life was more pressing than the need that was in front of them. Maybe they had some fears in their lives. 
Maybe they had some doubts that God could use them somehow. And those are all real things, you know. But the compassion that God allows to rise up in our hearts overrides fear. It overrides doubts of God's ability to use us. And so we see that Samaritan guy stop and just just take care of, of the need in front of him. It says, uh, taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. Why are they distressed? Well, the reality is they're distressed because they have needs that aren't being met. They're being overlooked. They have, they have problems in their lives that uh, uh, are prevailing in their lives. They're, they feel alone and forgotten. Have you ever felt that way? That's, that's, the, that's the norm for uh, orphans and widows. There's no one to care for them. I want to just show you a couple passages um, in the scriptures. But Jesus, Jesus spoke about it. The, the Old Testament talks about it a lot. There's many times orphans and widows are, are addressed together. And it's just sort of an expression of God's love and care for people who are on the fringes. That, uh, you know, helpless, unable to help themselves, who need help. And we'll look at uh, Psalm 68. Verses 5 and 6, first half of verse 6. It says this, a father to the fatherless. This is about God. He's a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. You see that? He puts a family around those who are hurting. Whether it be a church family, whether it be a, an adoptive family. Uh, verse, uh, Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, he says this, defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Defend, defend, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And we see God's concern for all of mankind. We see God's loving care for those who, who can't take care of themselves. Those who have need. We see, we see God uh, expressing his care and concern. And Back to the passage in James, you know, the reality is for women, women in the society in the, in the day that this was written in James' life, and he was, most scholars believe he died around AD 62, uh, 62 years after, about 30 years after Jesus' death. Um, in that day, women would get married, they would have children, they would rear their children, they would stay home, and if the husband died, there was no social welfare system for them. And what would typically happen or would happen, it was prevalent, was these women and their children would be taken advantage of. You know, uh, children sold into slavery, uh, women taken advantage of in multiple ways, including financially, people taking what they did have, the very little that they did have. The, the, the kids could be um, raised as soldiers and really, they were considered nothing in that society. And God is saying, wait a second. You, the society may consider them nothing, but I care about them. I care about the needs around me. And today, you know, it's a little bit different, but it's really still the same. The test of true religion is, will we care for those who can't care for themselves? Will we speak up for those who can't speak for themselves? You know? And I want this to start in our church. The reality is... We may not have orphans in our church. Maybe we do. But how about kids without dads? How about single parent homes? How, how about widows who uh, 
uh, women or men, widowers who, who have lost their spouse and, and they're struggling to survive. What, what could a church do in that situation? Well, I have a lot of ideas. I mean, how about cars that are broken down and dilapidated? How about houses that are, that are uh, falling apart that could use some repair? I mean, how about situations where monetarily they just can't get by and there's no family to support them, no family, no, uh, no blood family around to help them out? Do you think the church could play a role in helping people like that? I mean, simple things like, let me look at your car. I'll change your oil. I'll change your brakes. You know, is there anything going on in your house you need some attention with? Uh, you know, they're just, I'm talking about practical things. Because we see that religion that just talks a good game like, hey, I love you. You're amazing. Have a good day. Religion that talks but doesn't do is not the kind of religion that God is after. And so how do we neighbor? We neighbor by loving the person in front of us, by making sure their needs met. If there's something that we have that they need, if there's something in our power to do for them, that we're willing to, we're, we're willing to give, we're willing to do to care for those needs. I feel like in the church body, this should be like a strength. This should be a, a, a great strength in the church body that everyone feels equally loved, equally cared for, and, and their needs being met. But it doesn't stop in the church body. It, you know, this is not what James is saying. He's saying that people who are in front of you, people you run into, needs you're aware of. And today, you know, if you were to write it, there's, there's people on the fringes of society that are maybe a little bit different than just orphans and widows. There's people like the fatherless, the divorcees, those in poverty, those who are caught up in substance abuse, uh, families where the uh, loved one's incarcerated. There's homeless issues, people who are uh, victims of domestic abuse, drug abuse, gang violence or racism teenage pregnancy or human trafficking. I mean, you could expand the list to say there's needs before us. There's needs in our community. And so my thinking is this. What if we, what if we resolve to say, you know what, we're going to take care of our own really well. And, and then after that, because th- this is a family, we're a family. What if we resolve to say, you know what, I'm going to look out for, for my brother and sister in the Lord. I'm going to look out for my family. But, but I believe that once we see what God does in our hearts, when we start to love and care for another person, we're going to take it to the streets. I, I believe that, that Jesus' name could be made famous in our community. I firmly believe that by people who've been touched and changed and say, you know what, this is what I was made to do. This is who, you know, God's given me uh, an excess amount of money so I could bless people. God's given me a tremendous amount of skill so I could bless people. God's given me the ability to help people financially or, or you know, whatever. And so I'm going to use that to bless people. What if, what if we viewed what we have as truly God's resources to, to touch people's lives? We could, we could do some tremendous, tremendous things. So, so we're called to care for the orphans. We're called to care for, uh, you know, those in need, widows. And, you know, I could, I, could, I could sit in the seat where you're sitting and think, you know what, I've got my own issues. I've got my own bills to pay. I've got my own problems that I'm dealing with, my family members that are struggling in my family. 
And you're telling me that I should help others. I believe that there's something called the supernatural. You need to hear me. I believe that as you begin to do things with, uh, you, you begin, begin to bless people with the things God has given you, you'll find that there's more. I, I, I just think that we, we shouldn't limit ourselves based upon what is before us. I mean, Jesus tried to teach his disciples that. He said, go feed those, go feed those people. Well, man, there's like 5,000 of them, 5,000 men there. He's like, feed them. All we've got is this bag, this little kid's lunch. And he fed thousands of people with it. And God is able to provide when you authentically use what God has given you. I believe that. That's not just a good story. I believe that story is there because it applies to what we do today. And we could trust him with that. And so we... We want to keep a tight, a tight rein on our tongue. We want to control our, our conversation. Uh, secondly, we, we want to overflow with compassion. That's true religion. And finally, you'll see in verse 27, the second part. I'll read all of 27. It says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And then he goes on to say, um, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And to keep oneself be, from being polluted by the world. This is true religion. We may not like to hear this. This is not stuff, like I said, James doesn't give stuff to tickle your ears. He gives stuff to, give, to make you a practically mature Christian. And so we can be mature in character. We talked about this topic in our, in our grow group this past Wednesday. What a powerful time as we talked about. We can keep ourselves from being polluted or unstained from the world. Keep ourselves from being polluted or stained from the world. And, and the best way to neighbor, let me tell you something. The best way to neighbor is to keep ourselves from being defiled by the ways of the world. Years ago on this, on this property... We used to have, there's 79 acres here. We used to have this thing in the back portion of the property, a thing called boot camp. And this was four teenagers, and it ran four or five years. It was very powerful. They would come together for three weeks. And, um, and there would be training. There would be, we would go out and do ministry, and it was just a powerful, powerful time. And we would have this sometime in the end of July, and invariably... Whenever we had this camp, there would be this major storm that came through. Windstorm, rainstorm, tearing down tents. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Well, one of those years, we had the storm, and I mean, it was pouring. It was, it was just raining so hard. Um, raining cats and dogs, as they say. And, I mean, everything was flooded. And some, some kid, some brilliant kid had this idea we're going to make this mud pile, and we're going to slide in the mud. And so people were sliding. They were just, you know, doing running and doing these belly flops and sliding in the mud. Well, it, it, it took over the whole camp. I mean, that night we didn't have a service. We had a mud fight. We had mud slides. We had fun in the mud. And I'll never forget, there's this one kid named Reggie Jackson, 
And his mom drove to the camp that night for some reason. You know, it would be, it wasn't uncommon to have parents come by. And we were in the middle of this, this, you know, craziness in the mud. Everyone was just covered head to toe. And his mom gets out of the car and she ended up getting nailed right in the face with a mud ball. They were throwing mud balls at each other. And she got stained by that mud. And what James is saying to us is this. That, you know what? You can keep yourself from being stained or polluted by, by the mudslinging that goes on, by, by the, 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 the sins and the, the attractions to sin in this world. The reality is uh, we've got to roll up our sleeves. And sometimes when we're helping others, there's a tendency to get dirty ourselves. There's a tendency to get caught up in the mess. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's an attraction to get caught up in, you know, as you're helping with the right heart, you could get caught up in the sin the person's involved in. And, and, and he's saying, you know what? Character is a big deal in the kingdom. We may live in a, in a dirty world, but we've got to be careful not to be stained. You know? And so true religion equals private purity. Private purity and public compassion. The world needs to see people that say, you know, they live what, what they believe, you know. They don't just talk a good game, but they live what they believe. They care. They love. You know, they, they honor people. They honor God. And they're not caught up in the world's ways. They're not caught up in the ways of the world. And today, as we close our series, I want us to begin thinking about how can we neighbor? How can we neighbor those in our lives? How can we neighbor the person in front of us well? Because we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm convinced that we can't do any of this any good without the presence and power of Jesus in our lives. Without him transforming our heart. And, and I may have talked about something that hit home with you. You know, maybe I've got to control my tongue a little bit better. Maybe, maybe there's some shady stuff going on in my life that I've got to deal with. Maybe, maybe I, like uh, the, the religious people in the day of that good Samaritan, walk by the need in front of me. And the reality is this. It's going to take true religion. People that are passionate about Jesus, whose hearts are changed by Jesus, that are going to change the world. I believe that. I believe the world has yet to see a body of people that are, that are passionate for what they believe in, and they're living it out, at least in our day. At least in our day. Can you imagine in your life personally, just think about this for a moment. Could you imagine in your life personally that, you, that if you decided, you know what, the people that are that are going to run into me, the people that run into me, they're going to experience what James is talking about here. You could call it true religion. You could call it a God-honoring lifestyle. You could call it what you want. The reality is, if you decided for yourself, the people that run into me are going to experience what James is talking about here. They're going to, as best as I can, as, as I commit my life to Jesus, as I spend time in his presence, as he changes me and he changes my heart, I, I want to be the kind of person that loves well, 
that honors God with my lifestyle and is working uh, on, on, on the things that I say so that I could be God-honoring. I could lift people up instead of tear them down. Can you imagine how things would be different for the people that you are called to neighbor? Can you imagine? I mean, just maybe someone next door, maybe someone you work with or someone you run into at the grocery store. What differences could that make? Listen, I believe that it could make a tremendous amount of difference because right now, the people in this, in this uh, region, in this area, this community, see Christianity through what they see in us. And if it, if it becomes real, if it becomes true, if it becomes loving and transforming by the power of God, it would change the way they see Jesus Christ. It's a big deal. Can you imagine if everyone in this room began to say, you know what, I want to live that way. I want to love people that way. Can you imagine how 300 or so people could change a community? I mean, people would have repeat experiences with the love of God in our community. There's some people you know that I know and some people that you run into you haven't seen in a long time that I've known for a long time. And and, and what if we all said, you know what, I'm going to love well. I'm going to be growing in God. And I I want to see my community change. This is what loving your neighbor is all about. In your bulletin, I want to encourage you to grab your bulletin that's in front of you. If you came in today, you pro- when you came in today, you probably found a card on your seat unless someone moved it. It says this, something extra to show you that God loves you. And we want to make it easy for you to love your neighbor. We want to make it easy for you to uh, do some acts of kindness. And so we had these cars, cards made. Let me explain to you. Uh, what they're about. There's, there's this little write-up in the, in the bulletin there. These cards are just a, a subtle reminder to us. As I had one in my pocket, I was thinking, oh yeah, I want to give this away. You've heard of things like pay it forward or, you know, um, doing acts of kindness. And so there's, some, there's this list on the bulletin that says something like, what are some things that we could do to show the love of God to people? Well, we could deliver fresh-baked cookies to a neighbor or a coworker. I'm not going to go through the whole list. We could bring fresh flowers to someone. Do it to your wife first. Um, <laughs> you could send a note of encouragement to someone. Uh, leave a big tip for a server at your restaurant. Now, you may already do all these things. You could pay for someone. You're at Dunkin' Donuts. Pay for the person in line behind you. That's called an act of kindness. Now, the little twist that we've added is this. They don't know that you love God, and they don't know God loves them. And if you leave this card to say, you know what, this is a little extra to show you that God loves you. It takes the focus off of, wow, you're so kind, you're so generous, and puts it on God. And you don't even have to say a word about it. There's, there's some deeper things in here. Those are, those are, I just want, we want to make it generic and easy for some who are a little bit timid to step into this. You, you don't have to give a big speech or share, you know, a 20-minute gospel presentation. You give them a card and just remind people, God loves you, man. God is passionately in love with you. There's some deeper things in here, like invite someone to join you for a holiday meal or invite a fatherless child to join your family for a fun day. You know, show them what family is like. Show them what a loving uh, a home could be like um, if that's something they're not personally experiencing. How about finding a widow, offering you to serve, offering to serve them somehow? You know, how's your car? Do you need any help with that? How's your home? Do you need any help with that? Is there anything I could do to serve you? We want to be the kind of people 
that served well. It speaks volumes. And so James, if we just summarize this whole story, James is saying, listen, you can talk a good Christian game, but the reality is when you begin to do the things you've learned, it changes the world. Would you stand to your feet? There'll be more of these cards out in the uh, atrium. You could grab them off the tables. There's some on the reception desk. Uh, We would encourage you to use these to remind people of how much God loves them. Let's pray together. Father, today we give you praise. We thank you for your goodness over our lives. We thank you that you've been so kind to us. We thank you that you've adopted us into your family. And Lord, when we think about the needs around us, as we begin to look at them, they are so great. And sometimes we just don't know where to start, God. But we ask you, Father, to open our eyes to see the need in a a greater way, in a new way, in a fresh way. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us afresh and anew today. That you continue to transform our lives. Change our hearts. Change our language. Lord, help us to be solid and mature in the faith. And Lord, help us to love well. Lord, I bless your people. I pray that this week, Lord, you will bring opportunities into their lives where they can love well, that they can make your name famous. Lord, I pray, God, that the people in this community, Lord, who are far from you, those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who maybe once walked with you, Father, that, uh, Father, that you're drawing, God, use us to connect. Use us to be the connecting piece to them, that we would connect you to them again. And Lord, I just bless you today, God. I give you praise, Lord. We love our, our city. We love Syracuse. We love our community. We love those who are unlovely. We love those who, Father, uh, society does not consider valuable, Lord. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to demonstrate that love, God. We give you all the praise, Lord. Lord, help us to never be the same, God. Lord, cause this giving and caring and acts of kindness to be contagious in this community. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.